Welcome to the What's Good Games podcast. I'm your host, Andrea Renee, with a special 4th of July week episode. I'm joined, as always, by my lovely panel of co-hosts, Miss Alexa Ray Correa. Hello. Miss Brittany Brombacher. Hello. And Christine Steimer. Hi, hi. You ruined the flow. We were doing, that, like, guest on oh. lady following things. <laughs> what is she... D- yeah, like that. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah. <laughs> so... This episode is going to be a little bit different than our normal episodes in the sense that we are going to be talking about our game of the year so far. But before we get into that, Brittany, Mm. I always talk about where people can find us. Could you tell people where they can find us? Oh, why, yes, I can. You can find us at Twitter. At twitter.com slash what's good underscore underscore underscore. <laughs> See, it's hard. It is. Underscore games. Underscore. You can find us at Facebook at facebook.com slash Facebook, youtube.com slash what's did I say Facebook.com yeah, Facebook. Facebook. Why is this so hard? What was in that tequila shot, Andrea? Oh, Spoiler alert. You'll never took know. a tequila shot. And I think Facebook.com slash what's good games, youtube.com slash what's good games, Instagram.com slash what's good games official. Perfect.tv slash what's good games. Yeah, I think you did it. Yay! Yeah. Yeah. And strikes. what's good games. Did we say that one? What's good games.com. Yes, Samer. <laughs> okay. Um, thank you so much for that. Thank you to everybody who supports us on Patreon. If you're part of our community on any or all of those sites, we heart you and appreciate your support. We also appreciate the support of sponsors, sponsors like takethis.org. Did you know, ladies, that one in four people in America deal with a mental health issue? That's a lot. That's 25% Steimer. That's a lot. I'm it not is. very good at math. But it's I think much it's more than you would probably think. And talking about mental health symptoms is the fastest way to find hope and healing. But the stigma of mental health issues makes a lot of people feel like they have to suffer in silence. That's no bueno. I was, almost, like I was just going to say no bueno. We were thinking the same thing. Yeah. Take This helps by letting people know that it's okay to not be okay. And there's help. TakeThis.org is a resource for you, for stories from people like you, for advice from mental health care experts, and tips for how to help people you love who might be struggling. And I think we all have had somebody in our life at some point or another who's had a mental health issue or maybe struggled with some some tough stuff. And we want you guys to know that people like Take This are there for you. Take This. It's dangerous to go alone. TakeThis.org. Thank you so much for being a sponsor and supporter of the What's Good Game podcast. So, ladies, we have a very special episode, as I've already mentioned, so we're not going to have our usual segments. Instead, we're going to do one long conversation. It's July, Mm -hmm. so that means that we're halfway through the year, halfway through the games, and there's been a lot of really fantastic potential Game of the Year contenders so far. So what we're going to do here is not take into consideration anything that's not been released yet. So we're not even going to be like, well, what about that Call of Duty coming later? That's not going to be part of the conversation. So, so far this year, I think th- an easy way for us to kind of go through it is if we were to pick our Game of the Year contenders, 
who would they be? And then maybe we can narrow it down by the end of the discussion as to like what our like five game of the year contenders so far are. So Alexa Ray. So question, does it have to be a game that you finish? No, of course not. Okay. I was going to say near Automata because I finished that game and it's freaking amazing. And I think everyone should give it a try, but Maybe Brittany might be in a little bit of agreement with me here. I really think the best game I've played so far this year has been Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild. I just feel like it's so big and there's so much to do and it innovates so much. And it's just like the story stuff is like really poignant and the the crafting and like the quests are really fun. It's just fun. I'm having the most fun with that game. We definitely knew that Zelda was going to be part of this conversation. <laughs> yes. So Britt, lay it on us. Lay it on you. So... Uh, obviously, if, you, if you're not watching, I'm wearing a cuckoo necklace and I'm wearing a Skyward Sword tank top. So while I agree that Breath of the Wild is a fantastic game, I have not finished it yet. The one game I have finished that I'm not sure, and on, and on paper, this sounds really weird to say, but Resident Evil 7, in my That's opinion. not weird. No, but as me, the, the Zelda freak, but then I also love Resident Evil, and Zelda is such a phenomenal game. I haven't quite worked this out in my head, and I'm comparing the two but i'm kind of torn between resident evil 7 and breath of the wild right now okay steimer do you have a number one pick um for me so far it's definitely horizon zero dawn uh it's just the game that stuck out the most i felt was the most unique in terms of setting and story and it was a game that more importantly left me feeling good even after the end which is not often the case for very story driven games please no spoilers I'm not going to. Okay, so I haven't um, even touched it yet. <laughs> it's, it's I'm not going to. Thing. It's just more of that. Oftentimes, I feel like in video games, they kind of lose their way towards the end, and they maybe don't know how to wrap them up in a satisfying way. I didn't feel that way about this game. Okay. Were you? <laughs> did I say that weird? Was it phrasing? No, that was oh, good. Because no, she just made a face. <laughs> it was one of those. That's what she said. Moments, ah, but. okay. Um, but another. I want to like. This is a much smaller game. Well, well oh, we're going to go around the Robin. Yeah. So what All we're right, going to cool. do is we're just going to say what our number one pick is. And then we're kind of going to deep dive into our number one picks. And then we're going to go branch out. Fair enough. Into like what else deserves to be a contender. I shall follow Does that your sound lead. good? Yes. Um, I agree. My number one game of the year contender so far. Horizon Zero Dawn. Uh, this game spoke to me in a way that a game hasn't in a really long time. Not only do I love this protagonist, but the world building that Guerrilla Games did in creating these unique individual areas um, of uh, an Earth post-apocalypse, like post several hundred years of, you know, of apocalypse, and the enemy machine race, the different tribes that you come into contact with the stories of the side quest givers and how robust they were. Really, to me, there's nothing that's come close to even, you know, coming in as a runner-up for a game of, game of the year. So let's start with Breath of the Wild. So I've already talked on the podcast before about how I haven't played this game enough. Simon, you also haven't played this game enough. No, I've only played for like four hours. So we need to play more for us to have an informed opinion. Good news. It's just July. We have time to finish Breath of the Wild and see how it stacks up against our pick Horizon. But ladies, as you are the two that have the most amount of time in, have either of you played Horizon yet? No. No. So we're in this weird kind of standoff, <laughs> right? <laughs> so tell tell us about um, her, uh, Breath of the Wild. And we're going to keep this spoiler free. And tell us about like why you think it deserves to be called Game of the Year. Kick us off, Britt. Everyone's looking at me. 
So Breath of the Wild is by far the best open world video game I've ever played. I feel like Nintendo has mastered that, what do you call it, a genre or whatever you want to call it, subgenre of video games. Um, That's a genre, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, so, yeah. Um, it's quite phenomenal how there are no load times except for if you go into these shrines, but it, you just literally have this huge world and you can do, you can climb on almost anything. And when I say almost anything, I say 99% of everything. Yeah. So if true. you see like a really interesting looking mountaintop or a cliffside and you're like, I want to explore that, you can do it. And there's still so much that you can do in this game that I feel like people haven't even uncovered. So um, recently, uh, uh, Andrea and Christine were talking about how, you know, you guys wanted to learn about t- tips and tricks that you can do in Breath of the Wild. And I was talking to Christine about this last night. And I'm like, part of the beauty of this game is that I feel like Nintendo has thought of everything. Like physics plays such a big role in this. And if you think you can do something, you can probably do it. And it's just very magical in that sense. Alexa, I'll turn it to you because I could keep going. No, I think magical is the right word. Like I don't, I can't think of any other game that I've played in the past several years where I can go from like, like giving, finding some guy 10 crickets so he can like woo a girl to like climbing a mountain to being kicked by a goat off of this mountain and ragdoll falling to my death, like in the valley below to like cooking food at a campfire to hanging out with like a hot fish guy and then being like, bam, up against like a giant ancient Gundam like thing, like Tell solving me more these puzzles about this hot fish guy. <laughs> I do not want to spoil the, spoil the amazingness that is Prince Sidon for you. So I just feel like there is like the game, like you're, the pace of the game changes with you. You can go around and do a bunch of small things and just enjoy this world. And like you said, sort of climb on everything and explore everything. Or you can just go straight for Ganon. Like I booted up the game and the first thing I did was march my ass to Hyrule Castle and try to fight Ganon. And I got my butt kicked. So I did the rest of the game. But I wanted to see if, if you could do it. And Nintendo has built this game that if you are bold enough and brave enough, like the hero of Hyrule of Legend, you can go and you can give it a shot. There's no wrong way or right way to play this game. And it's just so big. And I feel like that's such a hard a hard thing to accomplish for one game. So I'm going to yeah. play devil's advocate here for a second. Unless you had an additional thought. Well, I was going to just kind of piggyback off what they were saying. And I, I haven't played a ton. But what I did appreciate about it was I'm somebody who doesn't really like dying in video games. I find it annoying. <laughs> but this game... That's, that's well, fair, I guess. I mean, it's the well, well, of it's, the year. It's a stupid thing to say. I but, don't like no, games. But you understand. Dark Souls. Well, it's exactly. Exactly that. I don't enjoy playing games where death is a super punishment and you feel like it's just the most you frustrating lose progress thing. progress. Yeah. yeah. Right. So what I've appreciated about Zelda so far is that I don't feel that pain and I can... I feel more free to explore and more free to be like, Hey, can I do this thing? Nope. Didn't Bye. have enough stamina, fell off the mountain and died. Right. That's fine because like the when I get respawned, it's not somewhere it's not twenty hours ago. You know, it's not right that I've there. played it that long, but you know what I mean. Like, yeah. Um so it's giving me that freedom to want to explore and to want to try and see what I can do in this game. So yeah. I appreciate that. All of like the weird like game y stuff like autosave and respawn time and loading screens are just so well done like when you die it's like you died boop and there you are and you're back because yep. the game's constantly auto saving and it takes into account you know 
where you are and those loading screens are so short. I feel like if I die, it's not like a, oh man, I'm so frustrated. I'm going to put this down. It's like, well, that was funny. I got goat kicked off a mountain. Let's do this again. Yeah. Like <laughs> it's designed in a way to keep you going, like to encourage that experimentation. Even if you do fail, it makes it a better, more welcoming, like less punishable environment for you to just be like, okay, keep going. It's okay. It didn't work out this time. Maybe it'll work out next time. And I think that kind of encouragement of experimentation is what makes that so appealing. I tried to cross a river three times and drown each time. And then but eventually, you did it three times. And then eventually yeah, I was like, maybe that. I should move up river. <laughs> and I did. And I think besides just the amazing gameplay that's in Breath of the Wild, we also have to recognize that I personally feel like, and this is weird, seen as I'm wearing a scared sword, tank top, that Skyward Sword, did you play that? Yes. I played all the Zelda games. Okay, I personally was not a fan of that game. Me neither. Okay, good. So it's so funny. <laughs> Solidarity. Except Girahim was awesome. That's about yeah. it. But anyway. Right, right. So the thing with Skyward Sword is it was pretty linear as far as Zelda games go. And I was really unhappy with that. Because um, I think of Zelda, like the most like monumental Zelda experience I've ever had was Ocarina of Time because you took a link to the past. You translated it perfectly into this 3D world. And... It was just a really, again, magical moment. And so with Skyward Sword, I was like, crap, Nintendo, what are you doing? This is super linear. You're reusing environments. This is not Zelda to me. Where is the awe? Where is the wonder? But then they take Breath of the Wild and they completely did a 180 as far as I'm concerned. And it's such, it's so, what's the word I'm looking for? It gives me hope that the future of the franchise is going to continue to go in the right direction and not kind of fall back onto this weird Skyward Sword-y mechanic. Right. Yeah. So... I said I was going to play Devil's Advocate. Yes. Um, as someone who hasn't played this game yet, so people who are listening or watching, take that into account. I'm merely playing Devil's Advocate. What about this game is different than other games before it that have also done all of the things that you've mentioned? Why is what Zelda does so much better than it, the predecessors who have kind of laid the groundwork for what Nintendo has created? I think it has a lot to do with the fact that it's it's in the Zelda universe, like for people that have been with the series for so long, you understand that sort of like that, like magical, like mysticism that comes with like, Oh, another link and another Zelda and another Ganon. And the whole thing with the timeline and all of the stuff that goes into it, it's having the magic of that world finally be completely open to you is what brings a lot of the charm to it. But what if I never played Zelda? Right. And this is something that is an interesting point, And I feel like it's a very valid point. Um, for me, obviously, someone who's been playing this since I've been, like, seven, you know, obviously, like Alexa said, there's tons of magic and history there. And every time I see a Goron or a Zora, I'm like, oh, my God. And alternate timelines but, and other shit. Right, right, right. And, and people who haven't played a Zelda before, you're not going to get all hot in the pants like I am when I see these things. <laughs> and, to, <laughs> and to be, you know, frank, I have a hard time staying immersed in open world games because I find that I get overwhelmed that there's so much to do. And I lose interest very quickly. But Zelda is the first open world game where I'm like, wow, I, I, this holds my interest. I'm very like into it. But I have asked myself, is it just because it's a Zelda game and I have that tied to the lore? So I don't think I can honestly answer that question. I don't know if it has perfected the open world mechanic far better than any other games because I personally haven't been able to play, play a lot of open world games like Skyrim, Fallout. I always get overwhelmed and I stop. I do think the execution is very well done in this game. Um, as somebody who's not, obviously, this is the first Zelda I have ever played. So I don't have that attachment to any of these characters, really, or even the story or what's going on. I'm like, all right, pig guy's bad. And <laughs> that's pretty much all I know. <laughs> and um, pig guy. Isn't he a pig? 
Sort of. Uh, you're talking about Ganon? Yeah. Sort of. Sort of sort pig-ish. Of, sort of. Pig-ish. We'll pig-ish. pig-ish. Um, but I do think, like I said, it's executed in such a way... It is very similar to a lot of open world games. You will feel you will feel right at home at this. Like we're with this, you will not be like, well, "What do I do?" I mean, there's a little bit of that, but I think it's mostly because of how fine tuned the gameplay is. For instance, I was texting her, "How do I cook? Like, what? How do I? What do I do? How do I make this work?" Because uh, the game won't necessarily tell you all of the nuances to it, which is not a bad thing. It's just a choice. Um, but it's not. It's I would say more complex than something than say Horizon. Yeah. In terms of that level. And I will say, I don't feel like the story in Breath of the Wild is that captivating. I mean, I, as someone, well, then again, I, well, for clarification, I haven't done too much of the story. I'm, I've focused the way I'm playing Breath of the Wild, I'm exploring everything, uncovering everything, and then I'm going to unravel the story as I've explored all of the things. But clearly, it hasn't gripped you enough to compel you to play that content first. Exactly. No, that, that's very true. And I mean, I feel like all Zelda games are pretty story light, and that's just something that comes with the franchise. I feel like the reason I'm so captivated with it is because, like, I want to know what's up with this Link, and I want to know what's up with this Zelda. So I have that that a whole, you know, franchise worth of context being mm-hmm. like, what's her deal this time around? And that's why I'm, I guess, so moved to dig into it. Okay, so, um, Steimer. Yeah. Let's talk about... Horizon Zero Dawn. Okay. So this is a brand new IP. Yeah. Guerrilla Games, a PlayStation exclusive. Just like Zelda is a Nintendo exclusive. Um, what about this game spoke to you? Why is it your game of the year? The world that it's set in for me. The moment that I saw the trailer, I just said yes. Like absolutely a thousand percent. I'm on board with this. I am stoked about this. I want to fight Robo Dinos with a bow and arrow. Because why not? Like, that sounds fun. I, it's just something that, yes, it is sort of technically post-apocalyptic like a lot of games are, but they did something different with it. It's not, um, you know, things aren't, everything's not like the worst, you know, it's not, <laughs> which is what I feel like a lot, a lot of like fall. Ah, everything's the worst here. This sucks. Um, and it had, it had just sort of a refreshing take in that sense. And I enjoyed seeing the creature design that they came up with and I enjoyed the story of Aloy and what was going on with her and uh, just the tribes in general, I thought were pretty interesting. I just think that they built a really cool, interesting world and they executed on it in a nearly, I don't want to say perfect, but like it's pretty, really, it's pretty close, really good. They did real good uh, <laughs> because there's a lot of new IPs that come out and you see the potential in that franchise, Record. but they didn't quite get it. Yeah. Record. Yeah, definitely. Um, and then also I was like, like even like watchdogs kind of, you know, kind of stumbled in the beginning and then, you know, refined with Watch Dogs 2. But this one, I didn't feel that at all. I was like, you just came out of the gate and nailed it. Yeah, absolutely. Props to you. That's hard to do. I mean, they have a pretty fantastic pedigree, of course, um, Gorilla. But I agree with you. There was something about this game that compelled me to have it be the first game that I actually spent the time to get a platinum trophy on. I didn't technically get the platinum because three of my trophies glitched and I tell that story on a different show. And if you guys want to know about it, we can talk about it later. But 
I spent the time to go knock over all of the grazers in all of the villages. And I spent the time to make sure I took down one of every machine and did all these tasks because I wanted to spend more time in the world. Mm -hmm. And it was the only way for me to, you know, feel like I was still getting some progression without just like running around and just picking random fights with machines. One of the things I really loved about this game was the progression felt incredibly balanced. Mm -hmm. Sometimes open world games feel like you stumble into areas where you clearly aren't level high enough and you are out of your depth and you get killed right away and maybe getting back to the area you need to be in, the communication the game gives to you is not clear. And I don't think Horizon suffered from that at all. I thought it was very clear how they were like very gradually opened up different parts of the world, but they let you, it sounds similarly to Zelda, they let you explore and get to those high level areas kind of at your own pace. If you didn't want to follow the main storylines, you didn't have to. You could just keep walking from one end of the world to the other, very much like Skyrim, and there was nothing to really bar you from doing that except these encounters with enemies that were much higher level than you. But the way the side quests and the main quests wove together and unraveled, it felt really evenly paced in a way that was super refreshing. That I didn't have to think about it. I didn't have to think, well, maybe I should go do this thing or go do this thing. It let me kind of explore and go at my own pace. And it gave just enough tokens where you encountered something like the special armor set where you need the power cells yep. to go, oh, I clearly can't unlock that now. I have to go back, I have to keep progressing and then come back to this to this first area eventually. And I kind of like that almost like Metroidvania mm -hmm. element to it. And the world in which it's set, this really like lush green opening land, the Nora lands, where you kind of meet the first tribe that you're trying to be a part of and learning Aloy's story was really gripping in a way and they aren't even the most interesting tribe in my opinion in the game like yeah. some of the tribes you meet much later on like at like the 30 or 40 hour mark are even more fascinating the thing that really stood out for me and why this is a game of the year contender is because not only was the main quest line really excellently written and gripping all of the major side quests didn't feel like throwaways mm. are there fetch quests of course. Every yep. open world game has a fetch quest. That's just unavoidable. But I felt like the side quests were meaningful and they tied back into the final mission in a really satisfying way that made me feel like that side quest was worth my time. And there was a point where I accidentally missed one oh. and I went back and redid it. So uh, once you finish the final storyline, it resets you back before the final the final quest. So if you are like, shit, I actually want to go back and do some of that stuff, it, the game allows you to replay the final story mission after you've accomplished some of the things you might have missed, which I thought was a really excellent um, idea. Instead of doing like a new game plus where you have to start from the very beginning and work all your way back, you can just do all of the extra stuff and just do that last mission again. So are there multiple endings? Uh, yes, there oh. are. Oh, Ooh. I actually didn't know that. Well, I mean... Because I only played it once, but... There are multiple endings in the sense that the final mission plays out differently, but the ultimate, like, final is end is the same, no yeah, matter exactly. what. But, like, essentially, like, how 
the who is kind of your ally and who you're fighting against in the final battle right. is different depending on did you do this quest where you go on this thing and you meet this person and you you know and then they that person then ultimately comes to help you and how they help you in the final battle dictates how that battle goes Ooh, I like that. Yeah, no, I really loved that. And it really was satisfying because there was this one mission that felt like it had too many legs. Mm. But then the person who I, you know, ultimately helped the like by the time it was done, I was like, cool, I helped you. I hoped you liked that. I helped you because man, helping you was more difficult than I thought (laughs) it was going to be. Uh, That help in the final battle became like a pretty pivotal piece that I like at the end was like, wow, I'm really glad I actually helped you. That's Thanks awesome. for coming in, coming in clutch for me at the end, you know, and um, the story in and of itself, this idea that humankind has somehow been involved in its own demise and what that means and what we did and how that plays out and where these machines came from and the history of them and how they affect the world that you're in. Like the way that story is told was so fascinating and like it's unexpected. Like you think you know yeah. going in, you're like, ah, I think I have an idea of what the story's gonna be, but then it but surprises you. Don't you. Know. And you're like, oh shit, this yeah. gets really like much deeper down the rabbit hole than I ever anticipated. Is always a pleasant surprise because it's so rare that a game hits mechanics, deep and diverse combat, beautiful graphics world building and creative filler content and then also like a main quest line that is excellent like to be able to like check off all of the boxes is just something that very few games are able to do these days and i just can't say enough if you own a playstation 4 and you have not played horizon zero dawn yet you are missing out on one of the best games of the last five years another thing that i appreciate about it and this is a minor thing but it's actually i think quite difficult to do in games is checkpointing so like i mentioned with zelda how it's it's really good at this which is why i felt the need to or i felt like i could do things and not worry about dying horizon did it very similarly so the the end mission the end battle i got it glitched and it was awful. I got stuck in the environment as I killed it, as I killed the thing. And I was like about to rage. And I eventually, and then I can't remember what happened. I, I did something to reset it or something. And it just reloaded me as, a, as, as having completed it. <laughs> Lucky oh. you. And I was like, <laughs> thank you, Gorilla, for putting in a checkpoint, and re- for recognizing that I beat it already. And I don't need to, because I was like, I'm going to have to beat this thing again. Ooh, I'm going to have to do the final again. boss battle. And <laughs> I didn't have to. And I was like, oh, thank you so much for having really good checkpointing in your game. Bless you. Yeah, it was, I mean, it was excellent. I could, I could talk about it for, you know, much longer. I could go into the intricacies of the combat system and how each of the different machines has a specific way that you have to fight it. And they really challenge you to use everything in your arsenal yeah. to make sure that you can take on each of these different enemies in a very specific way. And it doesn't feel redundant. It doesn't feel like it weighs you down. It doesn't feel like you have to learn things. One of the things about Infamous Second Son that was really problematic for me was like in the final boss battle, you learn a new power just for the boss battle Mm. and then it's done. And then I'm like, well, what am I learning this new power for in the final battle? And in horizon, it felt like accumulation of everything that I had learned over this like 
like 50 hours or whatever that I'd put into the game and going, okay, I can now take everything I've learned and I can choose to use what I've learned and how I learn it. And you feel powerful enough that you can pretty much be as strong as you want to be going into the final battle. Like I, I was level 50, like, going in and some people I think have gone in as early as like level 35 or something like that but it was it felt rewarding because when you play a big RPG or an action game and you're leveling and you're learning different skills and all this like you want to feel powerful at Mm -hmm. the end at least Mm -hmm. I do Mm -hmm. and sometimes you don't because they'll throw these last minute things or these last minute mechanics for this weird boss fight and you're like but why am I learning this just for this one boss fight and it's frustrating and Horizon didn't do that Horizon was like you've been practicing you've been you fought a lot of shit and (laughs) we're gonna let you use everything in your arsenal and throw it at this fight however you want to throw it at it and I thought that that was really cool yeah but even still even though I did feel powerful at the end I still think there was a little bit of intimidation to, on some of the monsters which i appreciated too i don't want everything oh, to like lose their um, it wasn't easy by any means right that's what i just kind of wanted to say like there are still monsters where you're like i really don't feel like fighting that it will like it will, it will <laughs> oh, be yeah. a pain you go but... out of your way to avoid some of those guys yeah. for sure um so ladies we've talked about kind of what our two top contenders are there are a lot more games that came out this year that deserve to be talked about so alexa ray what would be like your number two contender? Probably near. Um, where? <laughs> I thought so. The original near was super weird, and I was hoping that uh, that this this sequel game, kind of not really a sequel, it's like set in the same universe, would also be weird, and it was totally weird. Um, but without again, without spoiling, it's hard for me to explain what the game is without spoiling it. It's about like cyborgs in a near future trying to reclaim Earth. That's like the most reductive way of putting it. Um, but the cyborgs are, you know, cute anime boys and girls, which of course appeals Aww. to me. <laughs> of course. So are they as cute as Prompto? Yes. No. They're as cute as Prompto. Can anybody and be as cute as Prompto? <laughs> to keep snatched. it snatched. To keep it brief, that game uh, was the way that it did its world building and the way that it kept like the fun factor going. Like in the original near the gameplay would change. One minute, it would be like a third person over the shoulder you're fighting, and then it would turn into a bullet hell. And then at one point, it was like a top-down, isometric, weirdo thing. It just kept changing its gameplay. And while this, while Near Automata didn't exactly do that with its gameplay, it does go from, you know, maybe you're over the shoulder and you're running to a side-scroller while you're fighting along like a uh, like a bridge or something. And my big thing is if your boss battle doesn't feel like it's super epic, like I don't care. The boss battles really made you feel like you were going up against impossible, like absolutely impossible odds. Like this thing is too big. I can't handle it. It's too weird. I definitely can't handle it. But that, that challenge was there. And also it was just a very beautifully done game. And there's 26 endings 26 29 that's too yeah, many. i've heard you so, have to play it multiple times you to do you do everything. and that's the other thing i've enjoyed going back into it and really digging into it um for those endings some you get very early on if you die in a stupid way or something and it'll be like this is an ending and of course you reload in and you're back at that point in the game but there's you know ending a ending b there's a bunch of different uh true i guess real endings by completing the game proper that you have to go back and complete the game again in order to get it. Um, The first game did that as well. The first game actually had an ending where if you got to that fourth ending, 
it uh, it uh, deletes your save file. What? So it completely wipes your save file of the game. It's like you've done it. Does it goodbye warn you about that? Nope. It wipes your oh. save file. And then to salt the earth, you can no longer use the same name that you had used for the protagonist like the first time you played. I wouldn't even load another save up. Screw you. I'd be very mad. I would be it's super very, pissed. It's very, it's it's an artsy choice, I will admit. <laughs> artsy? artsy. <laughs> that piss me off. But it's weird and it's fun and it's colorful and I like the world and I like the characters and I like the challenge that it presents. It sort of hits all those weird buttons for me. So I would probably have to go with here. Can you talk to me about the combat? Like what kind of a game is this? It's so there's you and you have like a little turret that you can use to shoot things, but you are third a melee person. combatant. Yeah. It's, it's third person, Okay, but you are essentially a melee combatant fighting with a sword, fighting with even bigger swords, going in, powers? hacking, slashing. Um, no, just weapons. Not really. You're just sort of beating people up. Can the weapons be upgraded? Do you get better weapons over time? Yes. Okay. So it's 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 like a, I don't want to call it a, call it a hack and slash, but it's basically you with some very big weapons like fighting your way through large hordes of enemies and then fighting bigger enemies. So would you call this like an action adventure? Yes. Okay. Action adventure RPG. Got it. Hmm. All right. I haven't played near yet, but I will have to check it out. Give before, it a shot. Before I, the end of the year. I tried Nier before Persona 5 came out because I have a thing where I like to walk on the treadmill and play video games. Mm-hmm. And I learned very quickly that Nier is not a game to play while you are walking. No, you have to like, pay attention to it. I fell off a lot. So, The game or the treadmill? Both. Treadmill. <laughs> well, both, technically. <laughs> um, so my... And, and again, just to be completely honest, I'm not sure what's number one, what's number two, Breath of the Wild or Resident Evil 7. So I've been playing Resident Evil since I was eight, which I cannot recommend. <laughs> Yeah, that explains a lot. You're like the kids in our Friday the Friday the Thirteenth lobby. No, Resident Evil Two was my first. <laughs> so Resident Evil Two, this is a story for probably another time. But Resident Evil Two, in a nutshell, was my first Resident Evil game. I was eight years old. I was with my friend Tucker at the time, and Tucker, Do- Tucker. That's when Hollywood Videos existed, where you could oh, rent yeah, loved it. the video games. And my friend Tucker said, "Hey, we should, uh, you know, go rent this really cool game called Resident Evil." My dad's like, "Okay." Was Tucker also eight? Yeah, it was probably pre ESRB, huh? I don't know. When did I don't when know? When did the SRB start? I think late eighties, early nineties. I can look this up. Okay, so no, I would have. This would have been in nineteen ninety eight. Okay, so that was definitely in effect then. Yeah, uh, and it completely wrecked me. But I was so entranced by um, zon- the zombie part of it. I had nightmares for probably a couple months after that, and it took until I was sixteen to play that series again. But it always was in the back of my mind. So anyway. So Resident Evil Zero through Code Veronica, which takes place after three, is very survival horror based. And as we all know, Resident Evil Five, Resident Evil Six were just kind of Resident Evil Four was great. Resident Evil Five, Resident Evil Six, Capcom really wasn't sure what they wanted to do with the franchise. At least that's how it came across. Resident Evil Six was good in the sense that Leon's campaign was very true to its roots, survival horror-y. Have you played any of the Resident Evils? Yes, Alexa. I, t- I played everything. But six. Okay. So I love the Resident Evil lore. I'm very, like, into it. It's um, very deep. It is. It's really deep. I don't deep think and dank. Deep Spawned and a bunch dank. of movies. Spawned a bunch of movies. <laughs> <laughs> there, okay. We won't go into that. So anyway, with Resident Evil 7, there was a lot on the line here. Because Capcom had said, you know, we have heard the fan feedback. We know what you guys want. You want more survival horror. But obviously, Capcom has to evolve the survival horror Resident Evil that once was, it can no longer be this over-the-shoulder, tanky, stop, shoot mechanic. 
Um, and so there's a lot on the line with Resident Evil 7, and I feel like Capcom, for the most part, just nailed it. Um, there were definitely... Now, this is the first true Resident Evil first-person game. There are some shooter on real shooters that don't really count. But Resident Evil 7 did such a good job at the survival horror, kind of creepy, crawly, like you'd walk into a room, you know, you've played part of Resident Evil 7, right? And you would know that there's immense puzzles in here that you have to figure out and you'll come back to this room and you have to find emblems and like shotguns and just all these things that made Resident Evil great. If you've never played a Resident Evil before, you're probably thinking that does not sound great, but it is. And it's also freaking freaky, freaking freaky. It's very freaky. It it was like... On a scale of, like, my, my barometer for scary is the dogs through the window. Oh, yeah. And on a scale of, like, zero to dogs through the window, it, like, went <laughs> dogs past through dogs, dogs through the window. Through the window. No, the you know what I'm talking about if you played Resident Evil, dogs through the window. Yeah, and for a while, that was considered the scariest moment in all of video games, actually. Yeah. When the dogs jump through the dogs window. Dogs through the window. Um, so, with this one, and I can't talk about why it's so great, because I will spoil it. Um, it does a really good job of keeping you always on your toes. You never know when you're going to run into one of the bad guys. But at the same time, it also implements that old school Resident Evil formula where it's kind of that slow crawl. And I mean that in a good way where you walk into a room, like I said, and there's puzzles and there's rooms and you have to look at it's so full of detail, um, creepy atmosphere. And it does tie in with Resident Evil lore, which is really exciting for me. It ties into old school Resident Evil, which is very promising look for the future of the franchise. Do you think that they've added anything new that pushes the franchise forward vr <laughs> i was about to say is this the vr one this is the well VR i don't one. know if we can count that as the same or as a standalone experience it was something for me us to maybe discuss like off the show mm-hmm. but let's just keep vr aside for right now and just talk about the game as it is on on you know the platform you played it on yeah, um, I think what they've done to push the franchise forward, that, that was your ultimate question, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, is that they have, again, implemented... They, they've brought back the survival horror of old Resident Evil, and now they've also implemented this, like, freaking terrifying men, men busting through walls trying to get at me. You know, there's a lot... You're a helpless human. You're not some stars guy or girl, and you're not um, anyone special. You're just a regular dude. Um, and I feel like that sense of horror isn't something we've really had because like you're holding a gun you're like i don't think this guy's ever held a gun before but we're gonna see what happens and the storytelling is the best i've seen in any resident evil just because obviously now the technology we have and how beautiful the game is um i i i think this is a really good pathway to future resident evils being even better if that makes sense um it's a great next step and i think the game can the series can only really go up from here assuming capcom listens to fan feedback and all that good stuff well i think clearly they did right i mean the it kind of i don't want to say lost its way but they changed the formula to appeal to a different type of fan right like they went more action oriented to appeal to people who wanted something that was a little bit more action heavy more fast paced and in doing so they alienated some of the original fans from the more survival horror and it sounds like they've really tried to mesh these two styles together in a way that it brings both of the audiences back to the franchise and would you say that they succeeded yeah absolutely yeah 100 percent. that's why it's so great and that's why i have so much hope it's because they listened and they did it. Bravo, Capcom. Love you. 
And so um, that's why it's definitely right up there with Breath of the Wild for me. It's a series I hold very near and dear to my heart. Unfortunately, I've been playing it as long as Zelda, which isn't good because I shouldn't be playing Resident Evil games at the age of eight, nor should anyone else. Tucker. But I was just so (laughs) kind of like with Zelda, how Skyward Sword was kind of weird. Um, You know, Resident Evil 5 and 6, they were, you know, not bad titles, but just not great Resident Evil titles. So it was kind of like, okay, what are you going to bring? Are you going to are you going to do it right? And they did. So it's, it's a big deal for me. Steimer, who is your runner-up? The game that you started to talk about, and I was like, wait for it. Wait, it's not time yet, young Padawan. (laughs) (laughs) Um, It's called Thimbleweed Park. Have any of you heard of it? I have heard of it, not played it. Yes, no? Yeah, I've heard of it. Okay, I haven't played it. So Thimbleweed Park is made by Ron Gilbert's team, or new team. I think they're in Seattle now. Um, Ron Gilbert, one of the people who helped create Monkey Island, and he made Maniac Mansion as well. So OG adventure games back when people made those. <laughs> so what I love about this game is that it is ex- it's very traditional. It is an old school style adventure game right down to the art style and the mechanics and everything. Not only that, the story was really fun to un- uh, unravel. So basically the game starts and this is not a spoiler because it's in the screenshots and everything. Uh, there's a dead body and you have to there. There's two. FBI agents, there's... Oh, I, can't, I won't say the other people. But basically, you, you control different characters throughout the whole game, and you have different inventories for them, and sometimes you have to like swap things back and forth. And um, It was just really well done. I had a lot of fun with it. There's some really funny characters. There's a clown that is bleeped like every two seconds, and <laughs> he's amazing. And I just... I really... It just felt good to have that style game again and have it it just it hit the spot man it really did it was good good i don't think any of you really care about adventure games but no i mean we, i mean okay not no we don't care i but think no, you know what i mean i think f- i do for me when i look at what's a game of the year in order for something from the adventure genre to make it into a contention against an open world game, an action adventure, a puzzle platformer. Um, it really has to have a compelling narrative, something that's really touched me in an emotional way, or it's been really gripping in an action or suspense kind of way, like a like a Walking Dead season one. Or it needs to have, or I should say, shouldn't say, or should say, and it needs to have a really incredible art direction, art style, sound design, and technically it needs to be pretty flawless because the gameplay is so basic. Um, would you say that this game checks some of those boxes? Yeah, absolutely. Um, what I appreciate too about it is like every character's got a little something like they're kind of hiding and you sort you unravel that as the story goes, which I like too. Uh, like not everybody is what they seem. And also, yes, it's basic gameplay, but it's really hard to design puzzles that make sense. Um, and part of the, the quirk, I guess, of adventure games is that some of them kind of don't. I wouldn't say there was a huge problem in this one. There were a few times when I got stuck, but I also was playing it on Twitch. So like people would be like, yo, hit me up. What's <laughs> <laughs> but for the, if it, even if I hadn't played, I would have just come back to it at a later date and gotten it. Like, it's just kind of sometimes one of those things you need to step away from and then come back and you'll get it. Uh, but I just really, really liked the world. I liked the characters a lot. Um, I was just sort of charmed by it. I thought it was, I think, it's not that long, like six hours. 
Yeah, and I think it's also important to remember that every person's game of the year is relative to what makes them happy and makes them click. Like, so that would never be one of my game of the years, but totally. that's okay. Totally can be yours. Yeah, yeah. So this is tough for me because there are several big games that I haven't gotten to spend enough time with yet. And then my the kind of two games that are vying for like my runner-up right now are Mario Kart 8 Deluxe on Switch and What Remains of Edith Finch. Mm-hmm. So it, I have tr- I struggle with giving it to Mario Kart in the sense that a lot of that game is from the Wii U, right? The Wii U version. They did put an amazing coat of paint on it for Switch. It looks fantastic. It runs pretty flawlessly. It's that classic gameplay we love. It has a lot of you know, diversity in as far as characters, courses, cart customization, things that you really look for in a fun karting game. And But it's hard for me to be like, yeah, game of the year because so much of that game has been playable before. But I want to give it a nod for an excellent job well done, a fantastic piece of software. What I like about What Remains of Edith Finch is it really gave me a unique set of gameplay experiences that I've never had before. And something that's unique and different and brand new always catches my eye. So for people who don't know, Giant Sparrow created this game. These are the people who made The Unfinished Swan. If you guys never played that, also another really piece of innovative game making. And we talked about this on the show just a couple weeks ago. But something about this game really struck me in an emotional way. And a lot of that has to do with these really deep and sometimes dark topics that they discuss. And I'm really looking forward to playing Life is Strange Before the Storm when it comes out and anticipating that this will also potentially be a contender if it's anything like the original Life is Strange. And looking at you know Edith Finch as something that is doing – is a, is a really unique piece of game making of storytelling and they did it in a very interesting way that I have never seen before and not only that but the art style of it all was really well done and each of the different gameplay elements is a unique art style in and of itself like certain family members stories that you come across look dramatically different than the next one it wasn't just a different story in the same art setting it was a whole new art setting completely tailored to the story that they were trying to tell and it's i don't can't i can't recall off the top of my head an experience that did something this um this innovative and it really struck me in a way that some of these big triple a games just haven't and not to say that you know games like for honor or prey or ghost recon are bad games because they certainly are not but they're formulaic in a way that's comforting on some levels, but also not innovative. You know, they're trying to reach a much wider audience. And I love that we're coming into an era of video games where we can start talking about video games as art in a very real way. Obviously, this has been an artistic medium since its inception, you know, back at the creation of video Mm. games. I think none of us are here to deny that video games are art. But very few games really feel like they're a piece of art versus mechanics with art wrapped around it does that make sense yeah um and uh just to speak on those innovative moments you're talking about you know we've all played a lot of games in our time um but i know (laughs) but i know when i'm playing something and i'm thinking it it doesn't take me out of the immersion but i have to stop and think like who the heck thought of this like a lot of those moments 
Um, and I don't really want to talk about, we talked about them during our podcast a couple of weeks ago, but they're really things that you should just go in blind. Cause it's like, what am I going to do this time? But it, it makes me stop and think like, man, there are some brilliant minds behind this because I never would have thought about, you know, becoming an owl or not, yeah, an owl and then a shark and then a cat and then it will not in that order. But it was really, uh, <laughs> it was, uh, like you said, really innovative and it was really special. I think that's the right word for it. Indeed. Um, so ladies, we've all kind of gone around and talked about, um, what our kind of top two contenders are. Are there games that we're leaving out? Um, I'm so trying to like, Persona. yeah, I think Persona's probably yeah. deserves to be part of the conversation. I haven't spent much time with it, but all three of you have, mm-hmm. you'll never see it coming. Yeah. Uh, so <laughs> wait, what I don't it? know what that means. No, 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 you'll but, never see it coming. Yeah. 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 Okay. Is that what they're saying? Yes. yes. <laughs> It, it's I it, never pay attention to the words. I just oh love the music. God. It's the generic battle music. Uh, so Persona has always had amazing music. Well, oh my god! Yeah, I didn't know that's what they were saying. And so yeah, there, there's always some fancy lady singing in the background, and then that's what you hear for the ninety out of hundred hours. That I can't you believe I wasted that joke on you. Oh, oh, so oh come on! You didn't waste wow, it on Steimer. It's good. Oh, salty everybody, Steimer! Everybody, li- everybody listening, we're gonna got have the a joke. Sing-along. Everyone listen. Everybody so, watching got the joke. Persona Five, I feel like will be a contender for a lot. Also, Absolutely. I thought it was interesting that none of us mentioned Mass Effect Andromeda. That's probably a discussion for another time. But there were a lot of people who really, 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 really loved that game a lot. So I'm sure we'll see a lot of that. Yeah, it's one of those things where I, I did enjoy the yeah, game, exactly. but I wouldn't put it in my game of the year top. I'm not sure. Well, it'll depend on how the rest of the there year were goes. too many problems with that game for it yeah. to be considered game of the year, and that pains me to say Absolutely. as somebody who has Jennifer Hale's autograph on the original lithograph of FemShep that got used for the marketing materials in Mass Effect Three behind me with my miniature normandy okay so like i love mass wow. effect it's like all of us do mm-hmm. right yeah. yeah and a lot of people listening and watching also love mass effect the team just kind of missed on this one and that's okay i still thought it was a good game yeah. and i will yeah. play it again in due time but it was not game of the year material Agreed. and they know that Agreed. there was some yeah. definite missteps in that game which we will not go over again here <laughs> um but there is a game that i think is uh maybe a wild card that none of us are thinking because we haven't spent time with it would you maybe put up player unknown battlegrounds in that it's been a phenomenon in sales there are over a hundred million dollars it kind of came out of nowhere it's this really community-based experience a lot of people are streaming it and doing let's plays do you think a game like that that's maybe a little bit more basic in its graphics and its mechanics um in its story does a game like that deserve to have a place sure i mean why not like i said earlier i think it's all relative you know what makes you happy what makes you makes you tick i think it's success and i have not played this game just fair warning but i see it everywhere everyone's talking Everyone. Everyone's talking about it. Um, it's obviously making some leaps and bounds and strides, and it's breaking records. I'm pretty sure it's broken some records of some mm-hmm. things. Uh, so I feel like that right there is enough to definitely make it a contender. Yeah, I don't think Game of the Year needs to be a game that looks particularly stylish or anything. It's always down to the gameplay and how much fun you're having. Again, I also have not played this game, but I know I kind of know what it's about. It's basically Hunger Games, um, but in a video yeah. game. Uh, and... I'm not somebody who's super competitive, so to me, that's not a style of game that I usually enjoy. 
That being said, like if we wanted to all hop in and give it a shot, it would. I'm not opposed to it. Oh, we definitely need to give it a shot. Yeah. The people Uh, have asked us to give it a shot. (laughs) So we will definitely deliver, but the timing of that is still TBD. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Okay. Well, I think this is a great discussion. I think we have a lot of fantastic games that are vying for contention. Obviously, we have many more months to go before the end of the year and some fantastic contenders yet to come. One of the games I'm looking forward to is Wolfenstein 2. Is there anything coming up that you ladies are like, Shadow? I have a list. Shadow of War. Shadow of War looks oh, yeah, also more, wonderful. More again. Whoops, uh, Mario <laughs> Rabbit, Super Mario Odyssey, Divinity, Original Sin 2, um, Assassin's Creed, South Park, Fractured Butthole. Butthole. I mean, I literally have a list in front of me of no, games I know, that's I'm what I was, I was peeking. So I'm really excited to have this conversation again at the end of the year and see where we stand with all of these amazing titles. I think it's going to be a battle of the Nintendo games. Zelda versus Mario? No, no. Mario no. will be fantastic, but... No Zelda. No, <laughs> okay. I mean, I can't say can that you, definitively. Can I haven't. you possess things? You can't possess things in Zelda, so it's like you can with your shirt off. No. Ah! Oh, I actually. You're I, also unprotected and take more damage with your shirt off. It doesn't matter. <laughs> I played most of like the beginning few hours. I wouldn't put a shirt on him because I was like, no, I'm walking around like this. I've heard that this is a thirsty game. I'm gonna have a thirsty link. <laughs> Zelda Breath of the Wild is indeed probably one of the one of the more thirsty games I have played. So, so there's a you know the part where you go to the lady and she kind of tells you what's happened, like the old yes. lady and Impa. she. Yes. So I went up there with with a with a hood, but no shirt. Um, and I talked to like the the girl who's outside. Paya? Yeah, and she was like, "Oh, Master Link, please put a shirt on." Basically, yeah. And I was like, <laughs> "No." <laughs> Amazing. All right. Well, folks, if you're listening, if you're watching, if you have thoughts that you'd like to weigh in on this Game of the Year so far discussion, please reach out to us. You can tweet to us. You can leave us a Patreon comment at patreon.com slash what's good games. You can leave a comment on the YouTube video. You can Instagram us. You can go to our website at what's good games dot com. Um, you know, pretty much we're everywhere is we what are. I'm trying to say. We are. Um, thank you again to all of our Patreon supporters. Um Thank you so much for being part of our community and doing great things. We'll be back. We have to quickly mention that the thank yous are not happening this episode because we are pre-recording this. Yes. I be- probably should have said that at the beginning. Hello like I was from supposed the past. To. Um, we can put out, we'll put out messages and let you guys know, but if you are a turbo patron or above and you're like, hey, where was my shout out? It's because we had to pre-record this episode because of the 4th of July holiday that's happening uh, this week. So uh, don't worry. Your names will be read in next week's episode. Thanks, your name. We appreciate you. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Take that for now. Um, Simer, if people want to find out what you're up to, where can they find you? Mostly... On the internet as at whatever the website is slash Steimer, except for Instagram, where I am K-Steimer. Same at Blonde Ned. You can just Google me. Just Google just her. Google. At Alexa Racy, Twitter. But seriously, Google me. Um, you can find me on Twitter at Andrew Renee, and then on Twitter that links to what I'm doing pretty much everywhere else. You can also find me weekly on Kind of Funny Games Daily. And um, we look forward to having more discussions End of the year, game of the year discussions are going to be interesting indeed. Woo! Mm-hmm. Until then, deep dig into that power chain. Bye, everybody. Bye.